Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikama, and today we are continuing our training camp tour. We're going to the Northeast to the New England Patriots. They have quite the quarterback battle going on there between Mac Jones and Cam Newton. They also have a lot of other rookies that we're going to check in on, plus some second and maybe some third year players as well. We're going to check in on a lot of those guys who have some really big projections as the Patriots try to have a bounce back season. Oh my goodness, I know it's almost sacrilegious to say that the Patriots aren't on top of their dynasty like they have been the last 20 years, but that is the situation they are currently in. For everything New England, you guys know where we go. We go out to Mark Schofield, our good friend who works for the Touchdown Wire, Pat's Pulpit Podcast, just everything that has to do with the New England Patriots, Mark is our guy. And also everything that has to do with quarterbacks, which is a great combination here for our little training camp tour that we're doing this week. Mark, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. What's going on, Trevor? Do the Patriots have a quarterback storyline to talk about? I hadn't heard anything about that over the past couple of months. Yeah, one of them's wearing like number 50 at training camp. I don't know, man. It's just, uh, it's weird. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I remember when Jared Stidham was wearing 58. Like, it's like Ohio State where you don't get the stripe until you like actually oh, earn it. right, right. Like, it's it's like such like, you, you, you wonder where Joe Judge gets his sort of Lotus Alperani from, right? You know, getting excited about training camp fights. Belichick's still doing like high school third year letterman stuff. He's he's looking like Devin Gardner at Michigan out there wearing 98 yeah. at quarterback, which yeah. is just the most appalling thing in Horrific. aesthetics Twitter history. So I'm um, yeah, I'm glad Although I had a soft spot. Who was that Ohio State quarterback? Uh like three seasons ago. He had like a tremendous first half in the Thursday night opener against Ohio State. Ohio it was the Indiana State. quarterback. Remember that kid? There was an Indiana quarterback that had, it was the first game of the season, the Thursday nighter, and he threw like three touchdowns in the first half. And I think he wore like 21. Richard Lego. Uh, people on the other side of the, uh, of the speakers were absolutely screaming at us, and they were screaming at this name, but I'm glad you got it because I was never going to get it. Yeah, I, I remember Lego. watching wow. him. And like thinking, you know what? There's something to this kid all summer long. And he comes out and like torches Ohio. He's just throwing back shoulder. Not wearing that. Not wearing that number. There's not a future to him. And I was just like, here we go, baby. And then he threw like three picks in the second half. And he got benched by the time this season was over. This podcast. By Peyton Ramsey, by the way. This podcast heavily bases prospects future on their number and just overall aesthetics. So absolutely. You know, and that's, that's why, you know, we're number 21 as a quarterback. It's just no go. No, it's just a no go situation. There's no way it's going to happen. So yes, new England does have a little bit of quarterback controversy, or at least a quarterback conversation that we get to have here. Patriots ended up selecting Mac Jones. He was quarterback five out of five in that first round. There was a lot of talk before the draft of maybe he was going to go number three overall to the San Francisco 49ers. I know he was on the table at one one point there and actually before we get into the little back and forth that we're going to have between Mac Jones and Cam Newton I'd love to just hear your overall thoughts on Mac Jones because as I said you are our New England guy but you're also our go-to quarterback guy and I know you did a ton of studying with these players and we had you on before the draft but it's a little bit different when you get to evaluate a guy's traits 
in a certain system and in a certain situation. So what do you think about Jones landing there in New England in the middle of the first round? I mean, I think sort of mid first round was kind of where Mac Jones belonged in this draft. I I never really sort of bought into the like top five, top three sort of hype that he was getting, you know, when the 49ers made that trade, everybody was just kind of like, Oh, Kyle Shanahan's coming up to get Mac Jones. And I, I never really sort of bought into that. I don't think many people truly did. You know, I, I think mid first round was kind of where he fit. And I think the New England, generally speaking, the fit in New England makes sense because the things that the Patriots tend to stress at the quarterback position, as they stressed over the past, say, 20 years with Tom Brady, mm-hmm. accuracy, decision making, pocket movement, taking care of the football, putting the football where it needs to be to maximize yardage after the catch. And those are generally like, if you're going to say that Mac Jones has some strengths as a prospect, like those are generally things that he tends to do pretty well. Now, I do think that when the pick was made, a lot of people sort of said, oh, he's a perfect scheme fit. And, you know, I I do think it's fair to sort of give that a little bit of context. And, you know, our our dear friend, Benjamin Solak, you know, he did some work on this as well, where some some guy, he works for some website now, some new website, the Ronner. I don't know what it is. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but he's he's got some gig. I don't know. Um, He's dead to me. I don't know. Dead to us. Just kidding, Ben. We love you. When when you look at the offense that Matt Jones was running at Alabama, it was RPO heavy. Patriots didn't do a ton of RPO stuff, even with Cam Newton last year. Yes, there was a lot of play action stuff that Matt Jones was asked to do, but it was play action shot plays over the top, which really traditionally isn't New England's offense. And so, you know, conceptually and stylistically, he might be this good fit, but it's not an easy, smooth transition from the Alabama playbook, what he was running last year, to what the Patriots are going to ask of him this year. There's going to have to be some give and take, some adjustments there. But I think generally, look, if you would have told me prior to the draft that they're going to draft Mac Jones, but they're going to just get him at 15, they're not going to trade up for him. I would have kind of said, all right, you know, I'm okay with that. Remember when I was on with you guys, I said, Christian Barmore might be a pick at 15. And yeah, I was still right, talking to myself right. into that and they got him in the second. So, you know, I'm, I'm generally okay with it. Now, if you go back and watch the live feed over at Pat's pulpit, when we had the live show on draft night and Justin Fields was slotted into that nine range and we thought, oh my goodness, Patriots are going to come get him. And then it's the Bears who come up. You might see my heartbreak. It's like that, you know, Ralph Wake <laughs> moment. You can pause it and see that moment when my heart just shatters. The but, soul just leaves your body. Yeah. But in the end, look, 15, they don't have to give up anything for them. I think it's a good fit. It, this was an opportunity for New England. Hopefully they get something better from Cam, from Cam Newton. If they don't, they had an opportunity to get the quarterback of the present and the future, Mac Jones, and it's kind of the best of both worlds situation. Now, this might be a little bit more of like just an overall scouting or or Alabama question than it necessarily is an exact Mac Jones question, but I know people would really like your perspective because when you talk about Alabama running, say, like a heavy RPO offense, that made a lot of sense when Tua Tungavailoa was their quarterback, and, and you're kind of saying that they ran a lot of those similar things with Mac Jones. Is that just an easier offense to use in college football or like, because you wonder the, those two quarterbacks that I named Tua and Mac Jones, they have different skill sets. So my question was, why were they running that with Mac Jones? And why is there now going to be this situation where he kind of has to learn this different, this totally different offense moving to the NFL? Yeah, it's fascinating because when you sort of look at the differences between the college and the pro game, the RPOs with the way the game is called and with the way the rules are, where you can have linemen like three, four, five yards downfield, 
like RPOs are just so much easier, regardless of the style of play from the quarterback to run at the college level. And I, I think for anybody that sort of wants to, to get a deeper understanding of Mac Jones, Coach Sarkeesian has a clinic he did like a year or two ago. You could find it on YouTube, but he breaks down sort of the RPO glance stuff that they were doing, not just at Alabama, but even back to his time with the Atlanta Falcons. He has examples of Matt Ryan running RPO glance stuff and throwing slants and glance routes to Julio Jones. You know, they're the reason that the RPO at both the NFL and the college level has become so popular is it makes the defense wrong. Like it just, and, and there have been certainly debates on the defensive coordinator Twitter about whether a defender is technically ever in conflict or not. But generally speaking, you know, you look at that linebacker, if he crashes down in response to a run action, you throw the slant over his head. If right. he stays deep, you hand the football off. Like yeah. it's a, it's a simplified rate of decision. And so that's why look, Mac Jones, like, 19% of his dropbacks were RPOs, third most in the class last year. And even though he's not a super athlete, they ran the RPOs because if you've got a if you've got a situation where a linebacker, think about it this way, a linebacker playing against Alabama last year, you see Mac Jones take a shotgun snap, turn to potentially hand off to Najee Harris, but you've also got either Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith running a slant behind you. What do you do? Like you're right, just stuck right. between, you're just you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, and whatever you do, you're going to be wrong because if you think, oh man, I got to come flying downhill and stop the run, Jones is going to pull it and throw to one of those two guys that went in the first round. If you stay deep, he's going to run Najee Harris at you, and now he's going to make you miss in the open field. And so that's why the RPO game is we're seeing so much of it both at the college and the pro level. Do you think? I, I know you mentioned the Patriots don't do a ton of that, but you also said right there that you're seeing more of it now. If that's an area of comfort for Mac Jones, do you feel as though that could be something we see more with the Patriots here this year with him, or is it more just, hey, this is kind of the way that they've just never really done this? They don't do this very often. It's kind of going to be the way that it is for him. You know, I do think there's been a bit of an evolution in the RPO game for the Patriots. I mean, Brady had eight RPO pass and attempts in 2018. Then it was 17 in 2019 and Cam Newton had 18 a year ago. So they're slowly working more of it into the game plan. And you might see even more RPO stuff this year, whether it's Cam or Mac, because if Cam Newton does win the start a job, they're going to want to involve his legs. And so you might see some RPO stuff potentially trying to involve Cam Newton's legs as well. And so I do think that, you know, Josh McDaniels over his time in New England as their offensive coordinator has shown a tendency to tailor the offense and the systems of the players he has. Now, it was obviously easier when you have Tom Brady, who's just you know ridiculous. But now that he has two different quarterbacks, he has to sort of tailor a system to what they do well. He's having to adjust. I mean, here's another example. You know, I'm in the middle of doing this Sports and Solutions data challenge right now. And the group that I'm a part of, we took a look at route concepts last year. And we put them into different buckets, whether they're explosive route designs or on schedule route designs. And the explosive designs are like aggressive vertical shot plays that don't always work. But when they do, they work for big yardage. Who called the most of those explosive designs? It was the Patriots last year ah. because they realized that, look, with Cam, like the short ball control passing game. That's not going to be his strength. We're going to run the ball. Traditionally, the short passing game has been the Patriots like substitute for the run game. But now the run game is the run game. When we throw it, we're going to throw it deep. And so that's some evidence there that Josh McDaniel saw what he had offensively last year and said, look, we got to dial things up in the passing game because, you know, we're not going to throw the ball a ton. But when we do, we got to hit big. So, you know, I, I wonder if this is the case. And I want to ask you about last year with Cam as we kind of get into 
this quarterback battle for this year. And what you just said there, I think, is really great context towards this next question that I have, which is how much do you feel like the coaching staff was in conflict with Newton last season? Because Newton was their best option, but Newton looked like a shell of himself. There was just so many heavy running concepts with him. It just seemed like they did not trust his arm. And, I, you know, him getting COVID goes into it. Him hurting his hand goes into it. So I, I think that all of these things go into it. But did you get a sense that the Patriots brought Cam Newton in he was going to be their best option no matter what, but you just felt like they didn't want another year of this. It, it Was that the case last year? Because if it, if it was, if, if they were really in conflict starting Newton, then I feel like that automatically gives Mac Jones a leg up on potentially being the starting quarterback even at the beginning of the season. Or do you still feel like they thought that Cam Newton could be a mismatch of a player with his legs to be preferred to be their guy as they started the season? I think Trevor, it's more the latter. I think they sort of went into last year and thought, you know, we'll do some more quarterback run stuff. You look at their first two games, and even though they went one and one, they beat the Dolphins, they lost at Seattle on that Sunday game. A lot of people after week two thought, man, they've got something here. And I was in that category because you see them in week one, they've got the QB run stuff. It's a diverse run game. Then in week two, they go to Seattle and suddenly they're throwing the ball downfield. You know, Newton's hitting on big shot plays over the top. And even though they lost, people like me were thinking, man, they've got something here. Like they've got a vertical passing game. I think what we saw in week two was more at that point of the season, Seattle's defense was bad. They couldn't cover anybody. And so we kind of got the wool pulled over our eyes in that one. But I think going into last year and certainly at the start of the season, they thought, okay, you know, the obviously the offense will be different. We'll have to be even more run heavy, you know, because the quick ball control precision passing game, that's not Cam's strength. Cam's strength is the like vertical game, the back shoulder stuff. Right. We'll do more of that. We'll do some play action off of that, but we'll really try to get into like manageable situations with the run game, you know, second and six, third and three and things like that. But then Cam, he did get COVID. You know, and he certainly came out and said, look, he wasn't himself when he came back from that. He also has said recently that it wasn't fully healthy last year. And this year is the first time he's been really healthy since like 2016 or something like that. And so I do think that going into last year, they thought we could make it work with Cam. And it kind of fell apart because he signed late in COVID and some injuries and stuff. So I think right now the expectation is, okay, we've got a healthy Cam, his second year in the system, things will be better. Now, it's nice to have hope. But you got to see it. And there's certainly a chance that Cam doesn't live up to those expectations, that he's still just the guy we saw last year. And then they're going to have to make a tough decision about how quickly they go to Mac Jones and whether Mac Jones is ready to take over. All right. Plenty of quarterback talk there. A lot to get into and a lot to think about with with Cam Newton and Mac Jones and who could be the guy to start the season. Ultimately, I feel like, do you feel, before we go to break, I got to ask, like, even if it's not, week one are we in a similar situation here with the Patriots and Mac Jones than we are with the San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo like with Garoppolo it's only a matter of time right and I I know that they the Patriots drafted Mac Jones to eventually be the quarterback but it, it is it that same kind of timeline is it basically just if Mac Jones is ready yes no question about it we're putting him in there like it is for Trey Lance or is it a little bit different do they have more faith in camp I mean, I think it's a little bit different. I think they have a little bit more faith in Cam. I think part of the situation that's playing out in San Francisco is Lance is just in an ideal situation. The offense was very similar 
North Dakota State to what he's at being asked right now to run. He's such an incredible athlete, and we know that athleticism gives you a bit more of a you know easier developmental curve. The other thing, look, and you know this, Trevor. There's something else that is in the back of every Patriots fan mind thinking about when Mac Jones starts week four. Because week four, <laughs> right, you get right, Tom right. Brady coming yeah. back to Gillette. Do you want to throw Mac Jones into that situation? Now, maybe you do. Maybe it's like that movie, that book for love of the game, where you know Kevin Costner's trying to throw a perfect game at the end of his career, and in the final inning, they run some rookie out there to like break up the perfect game because he's young and he's dumb and he doesn't know any better. Maybe it's something like that where they'll say, "Look, the offense is struggling, Mac. Go out there and just ruin his return." Like maybe they'll do that. I don't know, though. I don't know if you want to put Mac Jones out there. So I think even if the offense is struggling, they're going to try to get past week four before they sort of turn the system over to Mac Jones. Hey, pretty sure Daniel Jones's first start came against the Buccaneers and he... Yeah, how'd that end up? And he whooped them because they didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know what to do with it, but that's because he could run. I mean, is the game when it touched out was a scramble. This is a bit different. You don't got to remind me I was in the press box for it. And I watched the Red Sea part for that, that man to part. put the oh, football man. up I in mean, the air as if he had just won the Super Bowl. That was I a, think uh, I could have made that run. Like, like, I, I've, never, I've, I've never doubted a day in my life that you could make that run. There's no doubt about it. Okay, so we're going to get to more. Talk about the Patriots, some of their rookie guys, some of their second-year players. I definitely want to get into some of the second-year players because there's some interesting, uh, there's some interesting angles with those players and how they're going to be used. But before we get to that, got to remind the people that this episode is brought to you by RockAuto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers, makes and models on the road today, it's impossible for your local auto parts store to have all of the parts that you need. Chances are you're going to go into the store. You're going to tell them what you need. They're going to type it in on a computer, and they're just going to order the part. Why don't you just do that yourself? You could do that over at rockauto.com. Go there, left side of the screen. You'll be able to find your exact make and model, all the parts that they have available for your car or truck. They've also got great customer service. So if you don't see exactly what you're looking for, hit them up. They'll be able to help you, and either they can get it or they can point you in the right direction. If you end up talking to them, let them know the Locked On NFL Draft sent you. That'd really help us out. They got an amazing selection reliably low prices, and all of the car parts you are ever going to need over at rockauto.com. More Patriots Talk with Mark coming up after the break. All right, so we got our QB talk in. You mentioned Christian Barmore in one of those questions that I asked you, and you talked about him potentially being a Patriots pick at number 15. Pats get him at number 38. I feel like where they got him was a surprise, but them actually getting Christian Barmore must not have been. So, when you looked at that Barmore selection, was that right all along? His type of player, and what are you expecting of him this year in uh, in that New England defensive line? Yeah, I mean it was it, it was such a Belichickian pick, and we talked about that before the draft, right? It's it's a thin position group. A lot of people looked at interior defensive tackle in this past draft class and thought this isn't a great class. Barmore probably the cream of the crop. And so what do the Patriots do? They trade up in the second round to get him. And so I think him finding his way to New England, not a surprise. And of course, there's that Nick Saban, Bill Belichick connection as well. But what's been interesting about Barmore, Trevor, is typically, you know, rookies on the defensive side of the ball as well. They're brought on a little bit slowly. They're sort of worked into the rotations he's been getting time with the ones at training camp and he's been extremely impressive so far. He did have a little injury scare, but he's back practicing, but he's been winning one-on-ones and pass rushing drills. He's been doing some you know good stuff on the interior in team drills. And look, this is an incredible athlete 
very quick for his size. He's shown some explosiveness off the snap so far in camp. So people are really excited. And, you know, this was a defense last year that took a big step back two seasons ago when they won the Super Bowl. The defense was a huge part of it. That defense really took a step back. It wasn't the defense that people thought they were going to get. Stephon Gilmore struggled with injuries. You know, Warren's guy was a good part of what they did up front, but they lost, you know, some other players on the interior. So Christian Barmore is going to be counted on to be a part of their rotation up front. And it wouldn't surprise me if he continues to have a good training camp, that he's basically a pseudo starter for them, depending on what packages they roll out to start games, because he's been very impressive to start training camp. Speaking of getting versatile and having different packages for different players, I want to talk about safety Kyle Duggar because it feels like he played a lot of different roles last year, which it's a tough ask for anybody, right? Even if you have a streamlined position like, okay, I am a off-ball, inside linebacker. It's tough making that rookie jump to the NFL. And Kyle Duggar, I mean, he played free safety. He played slot corner. He played up into the box. He played some linebacker roles as well. It felt like they threw a lot at him and... At least from my account, correct me if I'm wrong, he did seem a little bit timid, a little bit overwhelmed, but I think that's to be expected. And so what are the expectations with Duggar this year coming up? Do they play him at a lot of different positions to say, okay, let's see what he likes best, or almost like an experimentation, or are they really just going to stay that versatile with him from this moment on? I think they're going to stay that versatile with him, Trevor. And this is a player that we, you know, we saw down in Mobile, an incredible athlete. So he has the movement skills, the like sideline to sideline ability that they are okay with him playing in a free safety role in single high coverages. But he also has the quick trigger, the physicality to play down in the box. And it's important to remember COVID opt-outs perhaps hurt Kyle Duggar maybe more than somebody, anybody else in the league because he was expected to be Patrick Chun's caddy last year to sort mm-hmm. of learn that role, which is a critical role in this defense because, like you said, Patrick Chun, the way they use him, he could be a linebacker on first down, a slot defender on second, and a two-deep safety on third. They expect that player to fill a bunch of different roles so they don't have to make substitutes, so they could you know, match teams if they use tempo. Duggar was supposed to sort of learn under Chun last year. Chun opts out, so Duggar got thrust into that role. And he told the media last week that, look, he gave himself like a C or a D grade for the season. He wasn't impressed at all with what he did, but I thought he was a little bit hard on himself with that because I thought there were times when it was like, yeah, this kid can play, you know, down in the box, sticking his nose in there against the run, matching some routes in the slot, matching some routes downfield. But he was timid at times. Like you said, there were moments that showed up on film where it seemed like he wasn't quite sure of what he needed to be doing, where he needed to be. But I think that will sort of sort itself out. They love his versatility. They love the fact that they could do what they did with him, that they did with Patrick Chun. And so I'd expect that versatility to continue. I expect to see him getting, you know, 20% of his snaps in the slot, maybe the other 40% of his snaps down in the box and the rest of them deep, single high or too high. They love the versatility he brings to the table. Let's talk about Josh Uche next, another draft pick from last season. Had a foot injury early in his rookie season that that held him from getting into a couple of games. Only was able to play in nine games last year. Started one game. Only played 18% of the team's defensive snaps. Now, this is an exciting football player, but again, I think for everybody, even the people who really like Josh Uche, they realized that this was a sub-package, pass-rush specialist kind of player. And when you don't really get a lot of that rookie year... 
sometimes that learning curve can bleed over into year two. Do you think that's going to be the case with Josh Uche? What's the vibe around him? Have they enjoyed like what what they've seen from training camp or the offseason from him? Where, where's the uh, where's the bar on Uche right now? Yeah, Belichick was uh, as effusive as as coaches as Coach Belichick gets talking about Uche and sort of the the offseason work that he did. He's been very impressive, similar to Barmore in those one on ones so far. All the reports, all the film footage out of training camp have shown you Uche winning off the edge with speed, with a little bit of finesse at times, showing a compliment of pass rushing moves that yeah you saw some of during his time in college and at the Senior Bowl, but you're seeing more of a well rounded pass rush plan from him so far. And I think you know the acquisition of Matt Judon and the return of Kyle Van Noy is going to give them some guys off the edge, of course, and those will be two great mentors I think for Uche because those are guys that the Patriots will trust to come off the edge to provide the first tier of pass rush, but they're going to look at Uche, like you said, on those sub packages, third and eight, third and 10 situations like that to get him on the field. And so if you want to double team Matthew Judon, if you want to double team Kyle Van Noy, if you want to slide protections that way, he's going to get Uche. He's going to get some one-on-one opportunities. And with the speed that he showed, with the array of pass rushing moves that he showed, he should be able to deliver in those moments. So they're expecting, similar to Duggar, big things from him this season. It's so funny because moving on to some other parts of the roster, I'm, I'm popping back over to offense. It felt like for years we just were like, oh, yeah, the Patriots are going to draft another tight end. Ever since Evans, ever since the Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski oh, yeah. days ended, it was just like any good tight end. It was like, oh, they're going to the Patriots. They're going to the Patriots. They're going to the Patriots. And it felt like it never happened. And then this offseason... We get Johnny Smith and then we get Hunter Henry both agreed to go to the Patriots. I mean, was this was this just the moment that it feels like everybody has been waiting for? Do you expect them to run such a heavy tight end offense like we saw a long time ago with the Patriots? I think so, especially when you spend that kind of money. And, and you know, we I kind of knew that they were going to sign one tight end, but on day two when they signed Hunter Henry, they signed them second. I thought I was getting chapsed. Like I had to check the ads like before I put the tweets out there because I'm like, they're not going to sign both these guys. Right. But they right. did. And you know, back in that sort of, I think it was the 2010 season when they did the most 12 2 tight end personnel, they ran it like 45% of the time. So it's not like they did it all the time, but I'd expect the number to be pretty close, if not past 45% this year, because, you know, you look at the other weapons and Nelson Aguilar has done some nice things, did some nice things last year. You know, he serves, seems to be building a little bit of a, a relationship with Cam Newton in the passing game during training camp. I think Jacoby Myers is a nice piece. I think Kendrick Bourne is a nice piece. Nikhil Harry, maybe he's motivated by asking for a trade. He's actually also been a bit of a standout, I'd say, so far, perhaps a little bit surprising so far during camp. But look, Hunter Smith, John, I mean, John o. Smith, Hunter Henry, those are going to be the focus. The 12 personnel package is going to be the focus, creating those mismatches, trying to get those guys lined up against safeties and linebackers. That's where they want to go, particularly if we expect, as we all do, this to be a heavy run offense. A lot of play action, some of those RPOs like we, like we talked about, and getting those guys isolated with favorable matchups. I expect that to be a huge part of their offensive game plan. There we go. My ex Mark Schofield, everybody. Pat's Pulpit Podcast, Touchdown Wire. Also, if you didn't know, pretty damn good author as well. I had to mention to Mark that a long time ago, this is like, what is it, six years ago, I bought your 17 Drives book, the college Man. football season, the 2015 season book. I just took it off the shelf and I'm going to read it again because I loved reading it the first time and I want to go read it again and think about 
how far football has come since you wrote that book. It's a fantastic book, everybody. You can, you can get it plenty of places. Just Google it. 17 Drives, College Football's 2015 season. I mean, it, it, it's one of my favorite kind of books out there where Mark highlights a lot of the key drives that happened during that season from a bunch of different teams. He breaks down all of the plays, why they worked, why they were successful then, and when why they continue to be successful throughout the season. It's a great X's and O's look at college football back then, and you can get a great perspective of where it is today. And so I just want I had to mention and give you a shout out yeah, there because I because I, I got it off that, the shelf, buddy. man. I mean, I loved writing that. And my favorite chapter in that, if you remember the Big Ten championship game that year. Michigan State, Iowa, and like Michigan State, they had that like 15, six, maybe it was like a 20 play drive yep. to win. And who was the quarterback prospect? The guy that ended up Connor Cook. Connor Cook, baby, QB1. QB1. Yeah, like, like he was like so mean at the trophy <laughs> presentation, like yanked it from the guy's hand. Everybody's like, this guy's not going anywhere. He has a fall to the fourth round. Yeah, I mean, that that was a fun little chapter, right? But man, little shout out, little throwback to seventeen drives. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah, hey, fifteen dollars on Amazon. I'm I'm looking at it right now. Everybody, go buy it. It's a great little easy X and O's understanding book, and it's a lot of fun to follow as well. Connor Cook, QB one. That was actually when the. Uh, the hey, did this guy go to this guy's birthday party? Started yep, because Connor Cook yep. apparently was uh, was it was and, a jerk our, to everybody. And, and our boy Jeff Risden was like in the DM saying, "Yeah, don't draft this guy." <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> it's taking me back, man. I'm absolutely loving it. Y'all should go check it out. Check out all of Mark's great work as well, buddy. Thank you so much for joining me. Anytime, my friend. Always a blast. Big thank you to Mark and thank you to all of you guys out there for listening to the podcast. I really enjoyed that episode. Hopefully you guys did too. That was a lot of fun for me to learn about the quarterback situation and plenty of other stuff too. I feel like I learn stuff about the game of football every time uh, I, I get to have Mark on this podcast and get to talk to him. Hopefully that is the case with you guys as well. We got one more episode this week. We were supposed to do Trevor Lawrence on Thursday, but had a little bit of a scheduling shift and we got a great guest tomorrow who's going to talk about not only Trevor Lawrence, but all of the rookies from this exciting class and some second and third year players for Jacksonville who are going to shape that roster under Urban Meyer with some, you know, uncertainty in the AFC South. Who knows what could happen with the Jaguars this season. That's all coming up tomorrow. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Lockdown NFL Draft.